0: Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. For up-to-date information and ways to get involved, please visit us at ClassicCity.org. History of the church, and there was a. Um, it, it was basically understood in the history of the church that Matthew, when he traveled with Jesus, was kind of the guy who wrote stuff down because he was a tax collector. He would have been literally would have been able to read and write. Uh, it just makes sense that he would have written down the note of the greatest speaker that ever lived, and he uh, he, he took notes and. What what we understand is that when Jesus died from the dead, Matthew stayed in Jerusalem with most of the disciples and was reaching Israel, reaching that community. And did that for a while, maybe 10 or 15 years. And before he left to go do mission work, he actually wrote his gospel. And he wrote the gospel of Matthew. And he actually wrote it in the Hebrew language. Now, the. Old manuscripts we have of the Gospel of Matthew are actually in Greek, so what was understood is that he wrote it in the Hebrew language, and it was translated into Greek and distributed. But we can tell by the way he's writing, he's writing to a Jewish audience, uh, I'll get into all this stuff. But it's an interesting book, probably, I think, written probably in the mid-40s, to maybe 50 B.C., I think it's written very early. And, uh, but anyway, it introduces us to Jesus. The Gospel of Matthew does. And what I'm going to share with you today, I want to do the introduction of Matthew. We're going to read 17 verses that I promise you, you will not believe it while I'm reading it. But I promise you, this is some of the most exciting, profound stuff you're going to find in the whole Bible, in the New Testament. The The New Testament starts with this exciting, profound energizing revelations, and we're going to start reading it in verse 1 when you're ready. ready. Verse 1 says this. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron. Hebron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amenadad. Amenadad. the father of Job, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Ruth. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother, excuse me, whose mother was Ruth. This is his mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Verse 6 And Jesse, the father of King David. David, the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Salmon, the father of Balak; the father of Asaj; Asaj, the father of Asa; Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat; Jehoshaphat, the father of Jeron; Jeron, the father of Uzziah; Uzai, the father of Jotham; Jotham, the father of Ahaz; Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah; Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh; Manasseh, the father of Amon. Abel, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jehoiakim and his brothers at the time of the exile. Verse 12. After the exile of Babylon, Jehoiakim was the father of Sheteliah. the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Ebahu. Ebahu, the father of Elachium, Elathium, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achaim, a king. A king, Eli was the father of Eliab, Eliab the father of Matan, Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary the mother of Jesus, who was called Messiah. Thus, there were fourteen generations in all from Abel to David, fourteen from David to the exile to Babylon, and fourteen from the exile to the Messiah. Have you ever read anything so exciting? Life of those things. But the four places where he breaks up this monotonous pattern. Does anybody here know what a syncopation is? A syncopation is when you have a pattern in music. you do something a certain way, there's a certain pattern to it, and then you break up the pattern. A certain way, Certain beat, and then you break up the pattern. An, an example of syncopation that's in movies happened years ago. there was a movie called Schindler's List, very famous uh, movie that Steven Spielberg produced. Actually, he won his first, I think, his first Academy Award with this movie, and it was about um, a Schindler, who was a uh, German, who actually uh, was a was making a ton of money on the war, and his heart was touched. Uh, about what the Jewish people were going through, and he, he started depleting his fortune to save Jewish people and protect them. He was a great, great man, and uh, the point in the movie, Schindler's List, is all black and white. The whole movie is in black and white, except for one moment, and it's the moment where his heart turned, and he's... he's looking at the city and there's Germans that are wrapping people up. They're wrapping up Jewish people. They're executing people in the streets. And he's looking at this just dark scene and there's a little three-year-old girl in this black and white movie that she has on a red coat. And as she's going, he fixates on her. And he can't take his eyes off her. And he just follows her, follows her. His girlfriend, his mistress is wanting him to least and he just won't do it. He's up on this hill and he just watches her and he follows her in pattern. He disrupts the monotonous pattern and he does it four times. And it's interesting what he does is he wants you and I, he wants his audience, a Jewish audience to think about these four stories, these four exceptions because they say something very powerful and very profound about Jesus Christ, the Messiah the Savior of the world. And you look at the first one, it's in verse 2, it's verse 3, excuse me. We have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Those are the three, uh, four of, of Judaism. And then you got the verse 3, Jacob had 12 sons, 13 sons, one with Judah. And this is about Judah's father of Perez and Zerah. He had twins. But it has this thing. It says, whose mother was Tamar, but that's something very different here. He mentions the mom. He mentions the mom. And he's going to do that a few other places. Why does he want us to think about this story in his mentioning the mom? Well, here's a couple of things. Number one, Tamar was a Gentile. She was outside. Judah was the, the king thing. And so Judah had a son uh, named Amon, and he was married to a gal named Tamar. But he was a bad guy. He was terrible. He was so bad, the Lord took his life. And back in those days, if a woman was widowed, one thing very important for a woman to have back then was a son. A son for a woman back in those days was an IRA. It's what you would have said, Tell why don't you go back, live with your family, and just wait? So, take do you go back? She's with her family. Now, while she's there, Judah's wife, her name was Shua, she dies. And so Judas, well, he doesn't have a wife, he doesn't have anything. And so, what happens? Tamar's dad tells her, Listen, you need to get an heir. And he tells her to go do this because Judas is out harvesting. He's going to be spending the night in tents out there. Nobody's around. Why don't you go out there, dress like a prostitute? seduce him, and get him to sleep with you and impregnate you so you can have a son in his line, in his lineage. So she takes her dad's advice and does that. She goes and she veils herself. That's what prostitutes did back in those days. They'd veil themselves and they would conceal themselves. And she saw Jesus, her father-in-law, and he, she came on to him and he said, sure, and they were together. And she And Judah goes, hey, do not bring any money, but I'll go get some for you. And she goes, that's fine. Look, do this. Give me, while I'm waiting, give me your stick that has a cord on it. Every body back then is almost like an ID card. would have a stick that would carve your name and would have sort of some designated uh, markings in the stick to identify you. So he says, okay, sure, you can have my stick. So he goes, he comes back with a go. And she's gone. He can't find her. She's like, well, wow, okay. So back to his life, and he's doing fine. Ten in the meantime, it was back to her dad. And in the city, it's discovered that she's pregnant. And Judah, who's been recovering for her because of he had sons you know, that were her, her uh, husband, gets really irate. And he says, bring her out here. We're going to burn her alive. And then she comes out, and they're going to execute her, and she holds up the stick. She says, well, what of the man? The, the, the child is with the man who, who owns a stick. And Judah looks and goes, oh, my goodness. He breaks. He goes, she's more righteous than me. And she goes, and she does have twins, Perez and Terah. She has two twins. The second story we talk about, the second one she mentions that Matthew mentions is syncopation is in verse 5. Excuse me, in, in, yeah, verse 5. It says, Solomon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Ruth. Now, you can read the story of Ruth. Uh, there's a book, it's a four-chapter-long book about the story of Ruth. Uh, and Ruth was what we call a Moabitess. She was from the tribe of Moab. She wasn't Jewish. She was from the tribe of Moab. And we can read, I think it's in Genesis chapter um, 18. The story of how the Moabites came into being. Now, are you, are you familiar with the story of Lot? Lot was Abraham's cousin. He, uh, he and Abraham were good friends. They had to part. Um, Lot went to a, a land called Sodom and Gomorrah, and he was there. And while he was there, they, they they went south, to say the least. Sodom and Gomorrah did is famous for that. And so God judged and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, but got Lot and his family to come out. Uh, Lot's Lot's wife was struck. And so Lot was there with his two daughters, living nowhere. And so the girls are worried about having an heir, having somebody. There's no men around. They're in these caves. And so they get their dad drunk and sleep with him. One, One day, a few days later, the other does the same thing. Of course, he can't remember what happened. And they get pregnant. From their dad. You you go off to your parent, your kids go off to school. You have sons. They bring back a girl, and you're meeting her, and you say, "Well, tell me something about yourself." And she says, "My daddy and my grandpa are the same person." You know, you're sitting there going, trying to do the math, but not be obvious. That's a very unusual situation. That's what happened. And Matthew is trying to draw attention to this. He wants to remind them of this story. And the the next we find in verse... Temples, pagan temples. Pagan temples were almost like brothels. And men would go there and they they would pay to have sex with women. And what the women, the temple prostitutes would do, they would go through ceremonies and rituals. That the gods they were worshiping, the deities they were worshiping, come and live in their bodies. So these men were actually believing they were having sex with these deities through these women. This is what this woman was involved in. Dark, decadent, pagan sexuality. And the last one he talks about here, if we have rights, we have race. Then you have in verse David, King David. Okay, he's great. The father of Solomon. And then here's what he says. Look at the way he says this. His mother had been Uriah's wife. He doesn't even say her name. Her mother, his mother was Uriah's wife, the one who had been Uriah's wife. And what he's doing, he's talking to a scandal that happened when King David was king. We can read about the story in the book of Kings. David is, is out and his troops are off to war. He decided not to go. He's on top of his palace looking over his kingdom. And he sees one of his general's wives. His general's name was Uriah. His wife's name was Bathsheba. And she's taking a bath. And he's looking through and he sees her. And he gets seduced and he gets struck. And he has his crew to go and send for her and bring her to him. They have relations. She gets pregnant. And so David's freaking out. What I'll do, I'll get her husband Uriah off the battle lines to come back, to spend the night with her, and I can just go, it'll just, it'll cover it up. Well, what happens, they get Uriah, he comes back, and they get him drunk, and he can't, you know, he, can't he goes to sleep. The next night, you know, he's supposed to be with his wife. And he's, he does this, he goes, my daughter, are fighting I can't sit here and fight with my wife while they're fighting. So he literally would not touch her. And of course, David's just fuming, like, oh my gosh, I can't get away with this now. And so what David does is let him go back to the battle, and David literally sets him up. He literally has him go charge to the most intense part of the fight. And he tells the general that when he's got the rockets going up to the intense battle, Everybody retreat and leave him there to be slaughtered. He gave this guy up. He gave Uriah up to be slaughtered. And so, what Nancy was doing in genealogy, he is breaking up the pattern with four stories. And what are the four stories of? Prostitution, incest, betrayal murder, adultery. The darkest sins of humanity are committed by people in the genealogy of Jesus. And Matthew introducing the Messiah, Jesus, to his people. He wants them to know these are the ingredients of his soul. This is what he came from that it's coming to us. God came through the canal of deprived humanity. Humanity at its worst, darkest, and most defiled. Here comes the spotless Son of God to take away sin. What a powerful, an incredible way to communicate the gospel of grace. God comes to humanity in and through Jesus, but not just anyway. He came through the through the canal, through the pathway of humanity at its worth. Prostitution, pagan sacrifice, murder, adultery, incest, the darkest sins of humanity. Here comes the spotless savor to wash us of our sins. It's a powerful truth. It accentuates the most crucial doctrine of the Christian faith. It's the doctrine of grace. It's the doctrine of grace. What is grace? What does it mean? We sing the psalm, He is. He is God coming to Earth as a human, bringing to bring salvation to humanity. Salvation not just to the good of us, not just to those who work a little bit and are more deserving. He came for the darkest, most defiled, most polluted, most contemptible aspects of humanity. That's what Matthew is saying here. That's who he is. There's a profound paradox in grace. And this is a paradox. It's inclusive and it's exclusive. It's exclusive and it's inclusive. It's simultaneously both. How is it that grace is exclusive yet inclusive? Here's what we believe we believe that who provides salvation really matters. In grace, it does not matter whether you deserve it or not because you're not deserving. It doesn't matter if you're the righteous king, King David, or you're the Canaanite prostitute, Rahab. You know what everybody has? You have dark spots in your life. Every one of us had defilement in our life. Every one of us has shame. We need to have our sins and our past and things we've done and thought resolved before a holy God. Everyone just does. You've heard me say this before, but I'll say it again. If you knew me, and I'm a good guy, fellas, I'm a really good guy. Really. Fun. If you knew me, what like God knew me, you know about me what I know about me? I couldn't look you in the eyes. I couldn't look you in the face. In fact, I would move to a different state just to get away from you. And you know what? If I knew you like you knew you, if I knew about you and only you know about you, you know what? You couldn't look at me either. That's the broken human condition. And Matthew highlights... Four stories that really accentuate it, but you know what? It's true of all of us. Kings and paupers all stand broken before a holy God. And what matters in salvation by grace is not what you do. It matters what He did. So who does the doing really matters. That's why we say it's exclusive. That's why the Bible says there's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven by which man may be saved but the name of Jesus. What, are we just prejudiced or biased toward our religion? No. We believe something really happened in history that was critical. We believe that God really became a human being. God on a cross really bore humanity's sins in His body. And there is freedom. There's forgiveness and there's cleansing what He did. It's exclusive. It's through Christ alone. But here's the other side of that coin. It's inclusive. Because God does it. It's for anybody. It's for anybody. He does the work. If salvation is really by grace, it's by what God does and nothing else the only way you could possibly receive it is by faith. By doing nothing but trusting in what he did. Trusting that he did enough. That nothing you and I could ever do could add to it. And right here in this genealogy, Matthew is saying something really profound to you, me, and all of us. If you ask a question, are you like these guys? Can you, you see yourself in the story of these four women, these four situations? I bet you can. One way or another. Even if you're a good person. We've been defiled, we need salvation outside of ourselves. But because I can see myself, in those stories. You know what I what I also... I got hope. I got hope. That I can experience a salvation I could never earn. I can experience a freedom earned. earn. I can experience a cleansing that is so thorough that my darkest, deepest past does not matter to God. He sees beyond that. So what we is doing here is we celebrate Christmas. Christmas. We celebrate the birth of Jesus. We remember the wonder of God coming to our earth and to our planet. Matthew wants to remind us of this powerful truth. He came for the broken, the defiled, the sinful. He came to make us whole in the sight of God. And if you've never experienced that, then I, I want to encourage you, man, to, to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Receive the grace of Christ. Receive what He's done for you on a cross. Receive the grace of God that can cleanse you and make you whole before a holy God. There's a song, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes us white as snow, no other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this really incredible way that you inspired Matthew to share the gospel and really introduce the Jewish people of the first century, but also us today, to introduce us to Jesus by looking at His genealogy, by looking at the ingredients of His soul, to look at the stories and the circumstances from which He came. And we see it was a rough past. It was a past of incest. It was a past of prostitution. It was a past of sexual perversity. The path of adultery and murder and betrayal of friendships. People in His past did some of the things we do in our past. And we thank You that He makes us by His blood and by His doings clean in Your sight. And Lord, just pray for those here today, one that are struggling because they're, they're feeling guilty, they're feeling defiled, Lord, I pray that the, this, the truth of this, You'd make it real to them. That they, they would experience, Lord, uh, if they haven't received You, they'd experience a cleansing. If they're Christians struggling, I pray they would af- just the Holy Spirit would affirm that they are precious and they're clean in Your sight. That You've done all the work to make it so. We pray You'd make the grace of Christ real and effective and vibrant in our soul and in our being. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.